Welcome, everyone, on Memorial Day weekend. This is the Concrete Conservative. Yours truly, Mac on the Rock with Victoria's Ed Vidal. But before we start our show, it's appropriate that we have a moment of silence for those fine Americans who have died so that Ed and I can sit here and talk freely about stuff. That ends our moment of silence. Ed, have you noticed? He was playing with his paper, so he looked and sounded like the, the kid cheating in class. Because even in the moment of silence, like during test taking, you can tell he was shuffling around his papers because he just couldn't sit still. Welcome, everyone, to WFQF 94.5 FM radio in Key Biscayne. And we welcome you, especially on Memorial Day, this day devoted to those who gave the last full measure of devotion as President Lincoln said in Gettysburg, so that this union and this nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal, may live. So welcome today. And, of course, we concrete conservatives are always thinking about the Constitution, the rule of law, and the politics that support it. So today we are going to have three callers. Uh, one of the guys, the first guy has called in before, Steve Presser is a retired professor of law at Northwestern University, and he's going to talk about the coup that has been taking place against our duly elected president and what the outcomes may be with respect to... You mean the uh, failed coup, I The suppose. failed coup, right. Uh, and then what may happen to the coopsters, uh, in particular... Wait, 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 wait. If we're supporters and you call them Trumpsters... No, coopsters. You, coopsters. Yeah, you can't call them coopsters. That's like a compliment. The coop... Uh, you mean chicken coop. The trees to traders. Oh, the, the chicken traders. coopsters. Yes. Oh, yeah, because they're all in a chicken coop right. now. Right. So that means uh, guys like uh, Jim Comey, John Brennan, James Ca- Clapper... Lynch. And, and we'll see what else, you know, maybe... Strzok. Like, we'll see what, uh, what fingers or, are pointing. Well, And Nellie. You no, know, my I, first girlfriend was Nellie. Yeah, well, I'm oh, sure... she was much better I, looking than Nellie Orr. I'm surprised you still remember that name, you know. You've, been, you've had so many that it's hard to keep track, I know. But, you know, it's not... No, it's not uh, those people that you mentioned. I think the real issues is Hillary. I mean, she was part of this, and she certainly, I think, violated the law with her... Homebrew server, number one. I have a theory on that, I told you. What's your theory? My theory is that in exchange for depositing large sums of money at the Clinton Foundation, you got to have full access to her private server, 
and the passwords that she chose to give you access to. Whatever, yep. And when it hits the press, it would just come across as a hack. Right. It's well, a way of selling your soul. So Hillary's one. But the other one, and I think the biggest one, is Barack Obama. Let's face it. The epitome or the epitome of his presidency has been this. He, he is a crook. Framing of Donald he, J. He, Trump. He, he surveilled on political opponents. It started with. Just the, like the Stalinists. Yeah, does, he's a Stalinist. And the Fetalists. He's, he's a communist. He's a communist. That's what communists do. And what do I have a name for those kind of folks? The Democomi well, Party of America. That's right. But you got to realize under the Obama administration, the IRS persecuted the Tea Party. And you, for example, were getting uh, requested a license from the FCC and getting the tax Delayed exemption. over a year. There you go. But I know other people in, in uh, Houston. There was King Street Patriots, a big active Tea Party group, and they were harassed. Catherine Engelbrecht, who is now uh, truethevote.org, and she's great for and Mark, more. And Mark Meckler himself, he... He Mark won a Meckler, lawsuit against the right. IRS. He, they won a lawsuit there, a lot of them. But uh, they, so, so first the IRS uh, when they harassed the political opponents. But now we have the FBI, the CIA, Director of National Intelligence, plotting against a political opponent during his campaign. And then once he won, they undermined his transition. They sent spies in to trap them. And then after, how dare you call them spies? Yes. Yes, spies. Were they surveilling them? He sent. They sent a honeypot. Yeah, right. So they they set a honeypot trap for Papadopoulos. That, so you think a Republican president can be impeached for the crimes committed by Democrats? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, you were very far from impeachment because the other thing is, after he was uh, installed as a duly elected president, the coup continued. And they made up this lie about Russian collusion, which is now even their it own It wasn't really a lie. There was collusion. It was just them. They, they're the ones that <laughs> colluded. Yeah. But the, the key thing is Mueller knew for about a year that there was no collusion. There was you know no when, evidence. You know when, when it was pretty obvious uh, recently? What's that? Is when the, the, the reporters hounded him at church. And he didn't want to talk. And he was scared. That look of, of oh, yeah. fear yeah, in yeah, his yeah. face. Yep. Well, so this is our first caller, and yeah, your prediction is, who is? Uh, Steve Presser, I think. Happy Memorial Day. This is the Concrete Conservative, Mac on the Rock, and Ed Vidal on WSQF 94.5. Who do I have the pleasure to speak with? This is Stephen Presser. Stephen Presser, thank you for continuing your support of our program here. Thank you for calling. You're quite welcome. Thank you for calling, especially on Memorial Day. Uh, I, I hope you've had a few beers and you're on the beach or at barbecuing. Well, no, I would never talk to you anything but completely sober. Oh, darn. All right, all right. Well, thank you very much. We were just talking about the, what uh, our, the coup that our republic has just uh, withstood. Uh, and we were talking about how... Uh, Trump was first of all surveilled or you know or, or spied upon when he was during his campaign then during the transition period the resistance grew and then after he was sworn in uh it, there was a a real coup attempted against him including Mueller who knew for about a year that uh there was no Russian collusion and he still kept up the the facade of investigation i think he really did it because he influenced the the election of November of 2018 uh where there were a lot of scary and cowardly uh, republicans who re- resigned from congress who didn't think that Trump would last how do you read this uh, event in our constitutional history well same way that you do. Uh, And I think to describe it as a coup or an attempted coup is exactly accurate. I mean, what 
what we seem to have, and, I, and it's going to be very interesting, as William Barr, who I suspect will be one of our great attorneys general, keeps pursuing this, to see exactly who thought this up, uh, who supervised it, who made it happen, uh, and whether, in fact, uh, it is, as I suspect you and I may both believe, uh, the greatest political scandal in our history. Sure. Uh, and I suspect that we'll find that this goes all the way to the top of the yep. previous administration. And, uh, I mean, there are a lot of things that one uh, can say about it, but probably the most important is this was just a group of folks who simply did not believe it was legitimate uh, for someone who had policies 180 degrees away from theirs to become the leader of this nation. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's tragic in so many uh, different ways. Uh, and I guess it's further proof that there is a providential force that protects us, that this was exposed. Now, well, do you, that, wait, that, wait, wait, let me, let me question no. the, the motivation. Um, could it have been that the resistance was really a, a cover for just a crime, the Clintons committing crimes, and basically they were, they were on to them? Uh, I believe that, they, that the private servers in her basement were literally, really open source uh, accesses to sell her, her, uh, her access and uh, literally going back to Uranium One. And this is just a, a basic cover-up of a crime. And, uh, and they got everybody involved because it would have been fully covered up had she gotten elected. Well, I, I don't think that's wrong. Uh, I think that's a big part of it. But uh, what I find uh, horrifying and interesting uh, is that that's just a part of it that the real reason for it is simply this is a group of folks who wouldn't tolerate political opposition. Uh, or, to, or to put it slightly differently, it's exactly what uh, Mrs. Clinton tried to accuse Donald Trump of back in the debates. Uh, yeah, in other words, and, total projection. You know, she yeah, commits absolutely. a crime, so you want yeah. to impeach a Republican well, president so, for the crimes of a Democrat. So, Stephen, you, when you were talking about, you know, the, it goes up to the highest levels, I, I agree with you, and I was just telling Manny that it's not going to be enough for Comey and Brennan and Clapper to be uh, indicted or convicted, but it really, the, the real question here is, what did President Obama know, and when did he know it? That's right. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Much Absolutely. Much people used to ask of, of Richard Nixon. Um, I, I think they'll... This will go all the way up the chain, and we need to hear uh, further from Loretta Lynch right. uh, and what her communications uh, with uh, President Obama were, uh, and so on and so forth. But um, we're, we're just seeing uh, the tip of the iceberg, or as uh, I think um, Roger Kimball put in at American Greatness today, we may be just seeing one of the many tips of the iceberg. Yep. So there's a lot more to learn. Well, I think what, we, what we're seeing is that the progressive movement, get, once they got into power during the Obama administration, just went overboard. And they, you're, like you said, they would not tolerate political opposition. If you're opposed to them, you must be evil. And so you have to be opposed by any means necessary. And these are all terms that they've used. No. That, that's no, what that, we're up that's against. Exactly correct. 
Yeah. I thought the progressive movement, I beg to differ, I thought the progressive movement had ended in 2012. So from 1912 no, no, no. to 2012. No, the Obama administration was like I the culmination thi- I'm sorry, of man. the progressive Obama, movement in America. Uh, so Obama can claim to be a progressive and Hillary claimed to be a progressive. When this person was elected, he single-handedly fundamentally transformed the Democratic Party into a Communist Party. Well, that's right. Well, that, that's my, that's my point. That the progressive movement it was ends with Listen culminates to me. in a communist party. I wrote a, a book about party. this. I want to hammer my point. Now. Uh, hasn't been published. Yeah, 1912 to 2012, the progressive movement commenced its fall with the election of Barack Obama. Okay, and the, and the existence of the Tea Party that pretty much stood up strong. Yep. About what was a, basically an option for the the ultimate single payer health care that ruined Europe. And for us not to look into Europe and see what happened when single-payer came, it's full-fledged socialism that Reagan made very clear back in the 50s that eventually the socialists will demand, you know, health care so they can control you. And no, now... No, right. I, 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 would, I would slightly change the terms. I don't think it's, at this point, communism. I think it's really Fabian socialism. Okay. And I think that's probably the best way... To understand uh, Barack Obama, uh, he thinks he's a European socialist, and uh, to see that plan interrupted by Donald Trump uh, must have um, absolutely uh, gone right to the core uh, of the man. Well, you said uh, you, you said that uh, America is uh, has special divine providence, and I was going to mention that Chancellor Bismarck observed that God protects drunks. Children and the United States of America. <laughs> That's still true. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it is a providence. Uh, were you all fans of uh, Glenn Beck when he was talking about Fabian socialists at five o'clock, and they they basically cornered him, put him in a corner. He was hitting him, He's, hitting him, yeah. hitting it on the head. I mean, I was watching and I was you know uh, really paying attention. And man, it was really prophetic yep. what he was saying for yep. two years. That Barack yeah. Obama was a Fabian socialist, so mm-hmm. pro- I stand corrected because communism would have to include the military, and that wasn't the case here. No, I think Fabian socialism is the best way to look at it, and I think uh, Hillary would have simply continued that. Right. Um, and made it so worse in her own little would, way. And it, and it would have made more money than Pelosi has right. now. Right. Yeah. yeah, Pelosi, why are we, uh, by the way, why, I know it's a little bit of a tangent, but... How did Pelosi get so rich? Wise investment. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess we have to, we'd have to look at her husband. Uh, he got a lot of yeah. government contracts, didn't he? Yeah. I, I don't know the details, but I mean, Joe Biden didn't exactly suffer from right. his years and in government either. Diane Feinstein um, also, her husband gets a lot of the HUD uh, affordable housing investments. Well, yeah. did, did you guys know about the story of? Them not paying the tax bill on a cul-de-sac in front of their homes, right? And some uh, Oriental family, middle-class family, bought it in uh, the tax deed in an auction, and now uh, these idiots, Pelosi and Boxer, in this enclave, have to pay pay them to park outside their homes. <laughs> I love it. That yep. was just too beautiful. Uh, look that one up. I, uh, I'd like for someone to validate what I've already researched. No, no, Steve. What do you know about these? Uh these uh, U.S. attorneys that have been investigating. There's one in Connecticut that apparently was appointed by Barr, and then there's one in Utah that has been going on for a while. Do you think anything will come out of these two uh, uh, investigations? Well, the second one, I think so. 
Connecticut? Yeah, the, the one in Connecticut seems uh, a little bit more dedicated based on what we've seen so far. Right. But one thing, I, and I don't, uh, I don't know either of those two um, U.S. attorneys, but I do know Bill Barr. He right. and I clerked uh, for the same Court of Appeals judge, and I think he's just fantastic. Okay. So will he ignore um, Dan Coates, uh, implying that he shouldn't de- declassify all these uh, all these files? Yeah, well, I think he will. Uh, He'll ignore them. And you, you've seen the absolutely spectacularly Orwellian suggestion uh, from Adam Schiff that to reveal all this stuff is a cover-up. Yeah, um, I think the real winner here is George Orwell. He must be laughing, saying, did I call it or what? Right. It's incredible, the the bipolarity, the political bipolarity of the left. And if they I just project. Play, yeah. If I were a playwright, that's what, I would make a couple of plays, and one of them would be George Orwell comes back and takes a look, and he's, like, collecting from the bookie in London. I told you this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fun to remember that uh, he finally repudiated socialism, George Orwell. Though, right. Though at first he was quite committed to it. And he, he was one of the first victims of the National Health Service because he died fairly young. And uh, apparently just over, you know, like over the course of a year, his uh, he had, I forgot what he had, but it, it wasn't treated. And he, before you know it, he was dead. Good old ration health care. Well, there you go. <laughs> it's the saddest thing. It drives down the GDP, too, because... Private sector ends up overpaying in taxes and therefore not contributing to, okay. All right. to, so, so to Stephen, creating businesses. So, Stephen, so far we've been talking about legal prosecution and all that and the rule of law. But uh, one of the points that I made, like to hear your comments on it, is that uh, the Mueller investigation was effective for the Democrats because it gave the impression that Trump wasn't going to last in office very long, and it gave cover for a lot of cowardly Republicans, starting with Paul Ryan and 40 other congressmen, to take early retirement. So really, Mueller allowed the Democrats to have a very a better-than-they-should-have election in November of 2018. What do you think of that? Well, he, cer- he certainly did. I, I am uh, really quite puzzled. Um, I mean, Mueller's reputation when he went into this uh, was pretty impeccable, although right. Apparently, there are some irregularities with Whitey Bulger uh, in, the, in the Whitey Bulger case. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know what? One can only look at this from a personal lens. And before he became uh, special counsel, he was a, he was a partner at Wilmer Cutler and Pickering, which mm-hmm. I think is or what used to be Wilmer Cutler and Pickering, mm-hmm. now Wilmer Hale, and that was a firm that I worked at that I had just unbelievable. Uh, respect for. So he, he puzzles me. As you indicated a little bit earlier, a year in, I think he knew there was nothing to the Russian yep. collusion story. And I don't know why he didn't uh, make that clear at that point. Well, because he was hand, getting paid. He was a political operator. And he was making money. Well, Yeah, everybody says fine. well when about the money, but it's the money. He would have made money at its firm. I was just going to say, there's also the extraordinary situation that you've got, what is it, 13 or 14 rabbit uh, Clinton yeah, fans eight, 18. Uh, on, his 18, on, right. his, on his team, and I don't, I don't understand why he would have done that exactly, nor do I understand exactly how much of an influence these folks must have had over him, and looking at it on the outside, it looks like people like Andrew Weitzman may have been pulling Mueller's strings to right. 
Right. Uh, quite an extent. And Weissman has a terrible reputation going back to Houston. Um, you know, he brought down, he was one of the guys that brought down uh, Arthur Anderson. And by oh, the time, right. it, yeah. And the Supreme Court threw that out in a 9-0 to zero vote. A right. Bit, a little bit too late. <laughs> a year after the firm was yeah. uh, dead, yeah. Why, why that man continues in government service. But why uh, Why can't we find him convicted of something? Well, <laughs> overzealous <laughs> prosecution is hard to convict. No, well, you're yeah. hiding evidence. Yeah, that's true. If you have exonerating evidence, you're required to yeah. reveal it. Uh, that's interesting. You know, he was hired by NYU to uh, be one of their lecturers in litigation strategy. Yeah. Imagine wow. that. Yeah, litigation yeah, cheesy. There was another point that I wanted to make here about this, and that's that um, this is yet another uh, example of what went wrong uh, with our jurisprudence and with uh, constitutional theory generally. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you, if you look at uh, the Warren Court and the Berger Court in Roe versus Wade and the Roberts Court uh, in the Obergefell and the right. NFIB versus Sibelius case, you get the firm feeling that the law school's teaching for the last uh, 40 or 50 years has basically been, well, yeah, we talk about the rule of law, but it doesn't really exist, and you can really do anything you want. Really, the living, uh, the living document theory. Yeah, exactly. Or the, the critical legal studies movement uh, that happened at exactly the time that Barack Obama was in law school. So these are folks who've grown up without really uh, much of a respect for the traditional rule of law. And these are, I mean, again, to mix metaphors, the chickens coming home to roost. Absolutely. Uh, Jeremiah, yeah, you thought uh, about Jeremiah? Yeah, no, but <laughs> it's funny because I think Philip Hamburger wrote a biography of Oliver Wendell Holmes that was called Law Without Values. Uh, yeah, that was actually Albert Alshuler. Oh, Albert, I, okay. Another Chicago professor. Okay. And uh, I guess I should plug my own book on law professors. Absolutely. Uh, yep. that, uh, that takes off from that and that talks about uh, how the law schools went wrong uh, and how we might turn them uh, back on the right path. Do you think they um, might be turned wait, back wait, with the Wait, time out. Let him okay, answer. How... Yeah. How would how would you do, suggest we do that? Because I have my ideas. Oh, okay. Well, I'd, first of all, I'd issue uh, every law student a copy of my book and force <laughs> them to read it. I, I was going to suggest the same thing. <laughs> yeah, my but he published his book. <laughs> well, anyway, but but what's in my book is a suggestion that Blackstone and uh, Cook, uh, Joseph Story, right. and James Wilson. Uh, and Alexander Hamilton and all these other guys uh, who influenced the founding understood the rule of law, and we've lost sight of that. I mean, there have been periodically people like Antonin Scalia uh, who understood, uh, and I think Neil Gorsuch, uh, maybe the jury's still out on Kavanaugh, but by and large, Trump's appointments have brought us back uh, to that understanding. Well, we need one more. Well, we need a lot more, but yeah. We need one more judge. Well, yeah, actually, I think we need two or three more. Right. And uh, when Amy Coney Barrett goes on, we'll really begin to see things happen. Now, what's the name of your book so all our audience can can find out about it? Thank you. It's called Law Professors, uh, colon, Three Centuries of Shaping American Law. Uh, And as I say, it's all about where the law schools went wrong uh, and how we might put things uh, back to right. And it's available uh, 
on Amazon.com. Uh, it's um, the best introduction, I think, to law teaching that's available now. Great. Yeah, well, repeat the title again because it's, uh, it's quite long so that people can, uh, you know, can jot it down if they're not in their cars, of course. Well, thank you. Uh, the title is Law Professors, and then the subtitle is Three Centuries of Shaping American Law. Uh, and it's put out by the leading law book publisher, West Publishing, who are my publishers. All right. Oh, well, fantastic. Congratulations on that. I wrote a, a book about reinventing the United States, and it's online. It's 348 pages called The Fiscals. And can you believe it? My co-host won't read it simply because it's not in paper. It hasn't back. been published yet. <laughs> can you believe that guy? What a I get I mean, all the slanders. snippets here. I get all the snippets. You know, and but, I've, uh, it's on my third draft but, already. But, Steve, and, Stephen, it, it's interesting what you said, because I was going to ask you about what you thought the Trumper was going to do. He's now appointed 100 federal judges, and, uh, you know, that's unprecedented. And I think, if anything else, this administration, because they're getting so much grief from federal judges, like one just said the, the money couldn't be used to build the wall, I think that he really has a, has a focus on reshaping the federal judiciary. What do you think? I think that's exactly correct, and let's amplify that a little bit. Uh, what we know is that he sat down uh, with Leonard Leo right. of the Federalist Society uh, and the folks at the Heritage Foundation, and it, it may be that Donald Trump uh, did not begin his career uh, as a proponent of the original understanding, but he certainly came to realize yep. uh, that his model justices uh, were Scalia and Clarence Thomas, right. and you couldn't ask for anything better than that, Right. I think. Now, what do you think, personally, in his life uh, got him to finally turn his back on his upbringing, which was basically a progressive Democratic upbringing with his dad? What made Donald Trump understand that that was not the way to go? And he had to have made a political uh, transformation before he even considered re registering as a Republican. Cause, yeah, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know the real thing, but I like to think that he really is a very smart man, and I think he perceived reality. Um, right. And I think that's what turned him around. Yeah, yeah it's re reality huh? is a businessman dealing with all this political regulation, And the corruption taxes, in New York. Corruption, uh, the corruption in Manhattan should convince and him. And <laughs> the, the judges, he can see it, right? You know, he can see the judges are so one-sided. I mean, that's one case where I think Roberts is not a good, uh, sound justice. And he's coming out protecting well, he was all these political... By, he was appointed by Bushy. Bush. Well, and that's the problem, my concern with Kavanaugh, another Bushy. Uh, yes. Yeah, that, that you know, they... They, they said, could become flim-flammers. Absolutely. Like uh, Souter. Or, yeah, or even like Kennedy. I mean, Obergefell oh. and the first Obamacare case were just uh, awful. Yeah, that Roberts really blew it, man. I couldn't believe it. He legislated from the bench. Now, what do you think is going to happen in, for example, the FISA courts... Uh, do you think any of the judges will will be in trouble because they didn't uh, they didn't act in a in a very proactive manner and uh, you know I don't think so. Well, that, that's a, yeah, it's a great question. I don't think so either. But uh, the reason that I don't think so is I think the judges believed what was told them. Right. Now they ought to be they ought to be reacting. Right. They should be demanding. Uh, uh, they should issue contempt of court. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, or, or obstruction of justice convictions at some point down the line. I mean, uh, sooner or later, I think we will see some of the FISA judges uh, actually become involved 
in some of these prosecutions. I hope I'm not being unduly Pollyannish, well, but I expect that to happen. Well, I would about, have expected them to do it already. How about eliminating uh, the elimination, the call for the elimination yeah, of the FISA that could be. But well, that's not a bad idea. Either. But, Stephen, why haven't they done that already? Why haven't they spoken up? Why hasn't the Chief Justice said... Because the verdict is not in yet no, on the evidence. No. I think you know, the Chief Justice could say, you know, could have a hearing on, you know, what, what was this affidavit you brought me? Would well, I, you, you would think that that could happen. Uh, but I guess the, the answer to why we haven't abolished the FISA court in that system is that we're still desperately afraid uh, of possible... Uh, conspiracies, mainly from the Middle East, but uh, it'll take a while before that works itself out. I mean, it's just like if we had any sense, we'd abolish the institution of special prosecutors, uh, which right. I think are a travesty. Um, right. Well, there was a show on Fox uh, uh, this weekend, in fact, uh, this morning, where the mil- uh, veterans were sitting around doing, uh, you know, patio talk around the barbecue, and they spoke of an incident where an ex-military uh, a veteran was working uh, for ICE, and they picked up a group of uh, illegal immigrants on the border, and two of them did a, a squatting motion that was consistent with what occurred in Afghanistan. Oh, sure. And he called them out and told his commander, these are not Mexicans, these are not Central American, they're, they're Muslim and they're Middle Eastern terrorists because... These gestures I've seen before, and sure enough, they investigated them, and they were terrorists cell coming into the United there States. You are. So there's the proof that what we've hey. been saying all along is true. An open border means terrorism in America. No, and, and obviously something needs to be done about a, a comprehensive um, reform of the immigration system and moving it towards a merit system rather than the insanity we have now. Unbelievably, how slow that's going to take. It's uh, really sad because all it all it's going to all it's going to do is become a campaign issue. By the end of his yeah. term, he still won't have the majority of the of border sealed. Uh, sealed is not even an issue. Uh, you know, well, he's already admitted that there's but parts see, but see, there's, of the border there that can't be strong, built. There are two strong groups in favor of uncontrolled immigration. The Democrats are looking for new voters. And these folks are low human capital people that become dependent on the welfare state. And second, a lot of the Republican Chamber of Commerce folks are looking for cheap labor. And also, when these folks get, the immigrants get uh, uh, welfare cards and uh, they get food stamps, they go spend them at uh, big corporations, at Walmart and other grocery stores. And also the, the reality that we say on this show all the time. What's that? If you completely shut down the illegal immigration in this country... You and I Nobody's will starve. Nobody's pick tomatoes and oh, watermelons on. and oh, carrots on, and on. potatoes Forget and it. asparagus right. and broccoli but, but one thing that, and cauliflower. One thing that I think will happen, it goes back to the Mueller report. Ask our guest if yeah. he doesn't agree. Well, Stephen, you want to jump into that? Agriculture uh, in this country, no, Americans are not picking stuff anymore. Problem, but, but we're the only Western nation that doesn't have a merit system of immigration. Right. And sooner or later, uh, we do have to... Uh, do what's in our best interest. And uh, it's a, I mean, you're, the, the point that you make is a powerful one, that there are Republicans uh, who don't want to see the system reformed. I mean, right. one, of the, one of the most important things that's going to come out of the Trump presidency, if, uh, God willing, he's reelected, is a major change in the Republican Party mm-hmm. um, and a return 
to what I think are uh, its really noblest aspects. Um, it's not the, the kind of things that uh, we've been seeing in the last few years, but a, but a vision much closer to the conservative nature uh, of the Republican Party as it ought to be and not necessarily as it has been. Well, we, we think that we're already seeing that here in terms of the re, uh, Republican candidates lining up to take on congressional uh, Democrats. Uh, for example, down here in South Florida, there were two seats that were held by, I would call, rhinos uh, completely, and they went to the Democrats in November of 18. And right now we're seeing at least one, I think two, fairly conservative Republican Hispanic candidates to challenge for those two seats. And I think they're going to have a very good chance because I see the momentum back on the Trump conservative Republican side now that Mueller has, has laid an egg. I think that's right, and I'm very hopeful. Yeah, I think you're going to have more people uh, running, more conservatives running. And, in fact, 2018 cleared out a lot of rhinos, either through retirement or uh, at the poll. So Remember, we'll, when um, you think about the future of politics, you always got to think of, of the youth. Well, that's And too. the only benefit that we have in our young right now, as far as politics, is military veterans running for office. Mm-hmm. And that's the only positive, real, indicative what, what, positive affect one of, the, best young of cons- the wars against One terror. of the best young conservative Republicans is a congressman from Texas, Dan Crenshaw, and he's a star, social media... Uh, very photogenic, very uh, now, the, friendly. Now, we have to dig deeper than this. And since I'm assuming I'm much uh, younger than both of you, oh, come uh, on. there's a serious crisis going on in the Hispanic community who are still voting for the same damn policies that left they left in their native countries. Well. And that uh, is directly aligned with the comment that I just made here in South Florida. Those conservatives that are running against those liberals are not that conservative. Well, they're conservative enough. So we'll yeah, see. no more conservative than, Next, than two, Carlos Cubello. In two days, I'm going to a Venezuelan-American Republican Alliance meeting to get those Venezuelans to realize they left their country because of socialism. They cannot vote for socialism If, if I'm not standing there speaking to them, you, you come, don't stand you a come. chance. You come and join me. <laughs> Stephen, yeah, this is local well, politics. I'd like to ask about something else in Sure. Florida. Because it seems to me that the the other intriguing ethnic aspect uh, of Trump's 2020 run uh, ought to be that he dramatically multiplies the Jewish vote he gets. And uh, it seems to me that Florida ought to be a very key place. It should be. It depends the age group. Well, If you're talking about the older Jewish people, they might make a transformation right before they kick the bucket. But the young Jews hate Republicans. Yeah, we we have we've had um, uh, four different callers in. They're all conservative Jews in the state of Florida. I said you guys are the only four conservative Jews in the state of Florida. Uh, we we follow that closely, but it's really hard. I think a lot of uh, Jewish folks, and like Manny said, young people are so secular that they can't stand the Republican Party, even though we have the best economic policies of lower taxes and deregulation and economic growth. They are so secular. They're so stuck on abortion. Uh, and look, there's a beautiful issue. That's look at, a big look at, issue. Look at the terrible timing of the Republican Party. Why pick fights with women? Yeah, there uh, you are. Now, when we, we were this close to possibly getting a filibuster-proof Senate, and that we haven't experienced or earned since 1911, and what do we do? 
We well, go full Monty, and we, they take the yeah. bait of New York and Virginia, who <clears throat> went for infanticide, and they baited us into acting the opposite. So now we ban abortion in how many states now? Four states? A whole bunch. So, you know, we're picking a fight with half yeah. the populace. It, it's tough down here in Florida. That there's a big As uh, much Jewish, as I'm anti-abortion. Jewish uh, Republicans are very few and far between. No, but I'm talking about a gender. I, I, I'm talking about a gender war. Folks out there that we don't know about. But I'm thinking more about uh, Israel and uh, yeah. the, the Trump administration's policy uh, toward them and the evidence that's beginning to come out that the Obama administration uh, did everything they could of course. Uh, to hurt Israel. Okay. Um, I mean, my goodness, if, if that isn't an issue uh, that unifies at least some Jewish people, yep. you have to wonder what is. Well, a lot of the secular Jews don't want to have anything to do with Israel, and they consider it a colonial power. That's I, yeah. I understand the argument. Uh, I hope they can be brought to see the light. Well, we're, you know, remember, uh, Ed makes a decent point from the standpoint: are if you're a Jew and you're secular, yep. supporting Israel forces you to go to temple and be <laughs> yeah, religious. Right, right, right. And if you don't want to do either, then of course, in your mind, on the dinner table with your wife, you don't want to talk about Israel because yep. it implies a <laughs> reflection of your faith as a whole, and that's a big issue. Well, it's true. Although I. I, I guess this gets very, very complicated and interesting indeed. But uh, I, I was told once, and I did visit uh, Israel once, and was struck by the fact that there's a lot of secular Jews in Israel. Mm. Uh, and that uh, they think about it, and maybe some uh, American Jews do too, uh, as a historical ethnic identity as much as it is a religion. Um, and also and they're just, suffering negative I mean, birth rates in Israel. Yeah, the yeah. secular Jews are not reproducing. Yeah, and, 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 Muslims, Europe, are, and Muslims and in Europe, Israel and in are. Europe, and in Europe, they're leaving because Europe has become so anti-Semitic. But, uh, but I think the Jewish vote is something interesting to watch now. Well, okay, so now, now so. we're done with that vote. I think the real clunk, the real chunk of new voters for the Republicans... Is the back to the Hispanic vote? All right, we hope so. And Hispanic I write, it, I write in my book for us to abandon um, that economic interest in Europe and start finding a way to put a strong push, economic push to dollarize the Latin American economy south of here because that's the strongest economic alliance <clears throat> in the history of man, North America and South America. And for us not to be able to deal with the corruption in those countries, and you can calm it simply by dollarizing their economies like Panama and Ecuador, and uh, and free these economies to actually increase their GDP so they stop coming over the damn border. And people don't get that. If we don't turn our back on Europe once and for all... We don't have to turn our back. We just need to... I'm sorry. You have to Latin turn America. your back. It's... It requires billions of dollars that we're presently spending there for their security that they don't desire to secure themselves. you got to invest in the Browns. They're out-reproducing us three to one here, and I'm one of them. I'm a Brown. You're not Brown. You're but just I also, suntanned. I'm just suntanned. And uh, I'm not out-reproducing anybody because I only have two yeah, children. We're not politically correct here, Stephen. Good. Uh, it's been a treat to talk to you. I'm afraid I have to go at this. All right. But, uh, Absolutely. Please call. Uh, please call again. Thank you. Uh, have right. fun in Asheville, bye bye. North Carolina. Exactly. All righty. Take right, care. Bye. All right. That's Stephen Presser. He's a retired professor from Northwestern Law School.
and uh, he is retiring to Asheville, North Carolina. So we'll keep in touch with him. Well, That's once he goes to Asheville, he might not ever want to call us again. I don't know. Because, you know, once he goes up there, that's an affluent part of uh, North Carolina. Yeah, it's very liberal, too. Yeah, so that's what I'm... That's it's what a I'm good at. place to retire. Wow, is that timing or what? Absolutely. You're on the ball here, Mac. This is WSQF 94.5, the Concrete Conservative. You're speaking to Mac on the Rock and Ed Vidal. So please identify yourself. You're live on the air. Hi, I'm John Fury. How are you, sir? Hi, John. This is Ed Vidal. Thank you very much for calling. Uh, why don't you identify yourself to our audience? I found you through uh, reading your columns in the Hill newspaper. So uh, let t- give, give our audience a little bit more uh, background. Yeah, we're fighting for Hispanic votes here, so please help us. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I'm John Fury. I worked 15 years in the House Republican leadership. I was the spokesman to uh, Tom DeLay and Denny Hasser. Uh, I'm a columnist for The Hill. Um, I've been involved in Republican politics for close to 30 years. Um, and, you know, I've lived, lived in Washington, D.C., in the heart of the swamp for close to 30 years. And so, you know, my, my view of the Republican uh, coalition is they've got to, you know, keep, you know, keep fighting for, for votes for everybody who is a conservative uh, and everybody who, who doesn't know they're conservative, but they're conservative. Right. And that includes a lot of uh, Hispanic voters and a lot of African-American voters. Okay, so that's how I saw your article. You had an article on how uh, Trump can break the Democrat coalition. So maybe you can start off by telling us uh, your view, and you should know we're both Hispanic, so we have our own views. But give us your view on how Trump can attract more of a Hispanic vote. Well, first of all, you know, I think that um, he he needs to talk about how pro-business and pro-family policies are good for all Americans, especially Hispanic Americans. Uh, how you know his his agenda to get government off of people's backs is um, makes people more secure. Mm-hmm. How actually securing the border is good for people, all Americans who are here. Uh, no matter what their ethnicity. Well, one of the things um, to consider there is that uh, most of the Hispanic immigrants, like M- uh, MS-13 gangs, uh, prey on the Hispanics. Well, I think that's, that's obviously a very important point. You know, one of the most important things, by securing the border, I, I'm a big proponent of immigration reform. I mm-hmm. think that not only do we need to uh, secure the border, but we also need to find a pathway to citizenship for people who are are here, mm. and because I think that actually makes communities much more secure, makes feel people feel much more uh, like they can go to the police and ask for help when MS-13 right. preying on them, and I think that's a really important uh, well, aspect to I, I, immigration reform. I think our objection, I, though, is the path to citizenship for outlaws who came here illegally is not really something we want to support. If you seal the border, you will have to give them a path well, to citizenship. Well, if you seal it. Because yeah. you can't fill them up in buses and send them the other way. No. But if you don't seal it, I'm talking about sealing it, I all 1,900 miles. deport them to Cuba. Well, guess what? They'll end up back here anyway. All right. So that's the problem. You see how we immediately go about deporting, using the word deporting like it's like it has this, you know, you know, Goliath meaning. Man, deporting just means that you send it back to a, cor- a corrupt country. He puts them right back on the street and they come back this way. Deporting right. has never been the answer. 
I think that legalization and giving them status is important. That you don't necessarily need to give them a pathway to citizenship, but they need to have legalization because, you know, this is the thing: is that when immigrants come here, they help pay for Social Security for people like me. Mm-hmm. I'm close to 55. I'm going to want my Social Security, and we don't have people demographic from a demographic perspective. We need more people to pay into Social Security, and um, you know, people who come, no matter where they're coming from, Hispanics. Europeans, Asians, wherever they're coming from, you know, if they come to this country and they do it legalized in a legal legal fashion, you know, they, they, they do actually help contribute to our Social Security system. Right. So, well, I like to make a statement that uh, is the whole theme of a book I wrote. I accuse uh, the Democratic Party, liberalism in general, as politically bipolar, and I, I, I even coined a phrase called the progressive virus. It's like a computer virus, not a biological virus that is completely politically bipolar because of the point you just said. Uh, Democrats drive down the birth rate on the very group of citizens they need to reproduce to fund their social programs into the future. So if you're driving down the birth rate and you're uh, basically creating more poverty, well, the people that have to support the poverty, which is the affluent, self-reliant group of citizens, they need to save money. Therefore, they stop having three, four, or five kids. They they can they're satisfied with one or two. Plus, you add divorce and you add abortion, and you've got the issue you just mentioned, which there's no one to pay for Social Security tomorrow, and that is the progressive virus. Well, I think the other progressive virus, and this is why I think that Republicans have a great opportunity to appeal to Hispanic voters and African American voters, is that the left has lost their minds, <laughs> and they. They hate traditional values. They hate the traditional family. They're pushing for stuff that is complete nonsense. And you know, they're they're you know, for example, on the pro-abortion stuff. I mean, if you talk to anybody who's pro-abortion, and there are a lot of Democrats pro-abortion, what they immediately turn to is that they want you know African Americans and Hispanics to have more abortions. And you know, they, Margaret Sanger, who started the uh, abortion mo- movement. Uh, was really aiming her at, at Catholics, Irish Catholics in particular, when she started the movement. She didn't want Irish Catholics to have so many babies, and she wanted them to have abortions. And so this is kind of genocide. And it's Yeah, eugenics, the eugenics at, movement. Yep. What's that? Uh, she was very involved in the eugenics movement. She was very involved in the eugenics movement. And there's not a whole lot of difference between what she's pushing for and all these pro, pro-choice uh, Democrats. They are... They, they, they want the African-Americans and Hispanics to have more abortions because they think that helps. That doesn't help. It's actually a terrible, terrible um, message to send to everybody that, that we should be celebrating life, not celebrating death. But do, that's uh, why Hispanics should vote. Another reason why Hispanics should vote for the Republicans. But do you think that African-Americans or Hispanic women uh, realize that? Because, you know, for example, his African-American women abort their babies at three times the national average. I, I, I think some do. Um, I think that um, you know if you're if you're a Christian African American or Christian uh, Hispanic, you know you understand what the real right. thing here is, what what they're trying to do. Yep. Um, but this is a real message that 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 we need to get to, and it's, you know it's not just about that. It's about the 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 real kind of snobbery of the elites that run the Democratic Party. And they look down their noses at, every, at everybody. They look down their noses at Donald Trump. 
and they don't really have a lot of respect for people who believe in traditional, traditional values. I, well, remember, they hate themselves. That's their that's their problem. They hate each other, man. That's the largest hate group I've ever seen is the Self, Democratic Party. Self-loathing. Yeah, it's amazing. Self-loathing, and they, they, don't, they don't like our, our capitalist system. They don't like the fact that people work hard. I mean, you, you look at, you know, what's going on in a place like San Francisco, where, you know, it's just complete crime-infested, uh, Fecal, fecal sliding, uh, fecal sliming fecal sidewalks. It's disgusting. And, you know, that's because people turn away from traditional values. Like, the whole idea of law, you have to follow the law. Right. You have to have respect for yourself. I mean, this is where the Democrats are going, and it's obnoxious. And that's why people just say, no, we don't want to vote for them. Well, but um, unfortunately... I, I wish I wish that was the case because we should have won in this last election and we well, didn't. Well, I think the Republicans were demoralized in the last election because of the. They're not demoralized. Mueller they cash the money and they, they run. Well, and then there were forty six congressmen who didn't run took for early retirement, so they were cowardly and demoralized. And so the, the the Mueller investigation gave them an excuse to think Trump's not going to be around for more than six or seven months. And you also so you also have off. to factor in what are we going to do about uh, demanding you know. Uh, photo IDs for, to vote in this country. Yeah, well, we, we work My on God, that. My God, the Democrats are rigging every one of these elections. Now, the Senate race in Arizona was a rig for that one yeah, to have won. Let me say this. And that is that the Democrats um, did a good job of uh, organizing their hatred of Trump. Republicans don't really love Trump. I mean, I'm not right. kidding you. I mean, they don't love this, this guy. And, you know, he goes way a lot of his way to kind of, he's pretty obnoxious. I mean, I like him. <laughs> he's pretty obnoxious. And I think people just, you know, they didn't come out. They weren't all that energized. I think now that Trump's on the on the on the, uh, the ticket, yeah, he's on the offensive. Now, now that you know you have an economy that's booming, right? That you know, no matter what Trump says, he does the right things. Um, that he's not going to get us into a stupid war. That he's trying to get peace. That he's trying to grow the economy. That he's trying to get government off your back. That you know, no matter what he, what he tweets, that's not what's important. What's important is results, and his results have, results have been really good. And Absolutely, that's. And I think that's going to help him in this election. Yeah, my fear is not that he doesn't get reelected. I, I don't think anybody can beat him. He's now a cult figure after the the Mueller report. But I fear this picking this fight over abortion this early into the game simply because he couldn't control the narrative. You can't really predict what Alabama's going to do all of a right. sudden. They took the bait of they took the bait. I said this earlier in the earlier segment that. The Democrats baited us with their infanticide in Virginia and in New York, and now the the the, the Christian right lost their minds and picked this fight too soon. This fight could have been picked in another legislative session that isn't now. So I fear that he doesn't get the House, that he might no. preserve the Senate, but we don't get back the House, and now we're back in the same mess we're in now, which is well, uh, it's, it's definitely a possibility. I will say this: my my prediction is that the the Supreme Court will uphold uh, Roe v. Wade and close the window. And and then which is you know I think that I think at the end of the day, you know, we we want to win the cultural wars on abortion. You know I don't. Yes, I, in other I, words, close I, the window I, when you can op, opt out and and terminate the pregnancy. Just I would love to see. Uh, it reduced to twelve weeks when the child already has a sense of fear and pain. And leave it at that. I, I think that makes sense. I don't think there's going to be any real uh, constitutional law that's going to uh, stand that is going to ban abortions. I think the Alabama 
I think Alabama went too far, but the Alabama always goes too far. Um, and so I, I think this will be largely taken care of before the next election, which I think will be good. Uh, and then, then we can turn. I think you're right. I think then we can turn on to turn our attention to the economy, which I think is the most important part of our. This is really the most important part of our narrative, because what Trump has done on the economy is getting government off people's back and let the private sector do what it does best. And I think that that's ultimately going to be the thing that makes people pretty excited. Well, uh, John, you in your article you talked about how. Uh, Hispanics and African-Americans can be brought over to the Republican side. But there was another group that I thought was very interesting. I'd like to hear what you said. And I, I, I wrote it down that uh, basically progressive technocrats or uh, maybe tech entrepreneurs. What do you, what's, what do you, how do you view that? Um, listen, I think that you know, progressive technocrats, um, you know, they, 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 are, they, they get pretty, um, you know, pretty. They're pretty sure of themselves, right? right? And uh, they 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 tend to be uh, pretty smug. And I'm not sure if they necessarily have the best interests of voters in mind. No, they don't. Um, and so I don't. I think that that's a big liability for the Democrats because that's what the Democrats, you know, are running on. It's this idea that we we have the best idea and we're going to reshape society in our own right in our own kind of. Uh, our own views, and well, they turn off a lot of ordinary voters. Well, time out. They've they've already succeeded at that. They, you know, they, it's their school system, it's their university system. The reason why kids are behaving the way they do and have zero coping skills, hell, they're now getting rid of the valedictorian award honor in many schools now because it lowers the, the rest of the student body's self esteem. Yep. These people have succeeded. Why is it taking us so long to hear the call? to allow parents to control the finances of district-run schools is beyond me. Because those kids... Yeah, well, it's, it's a problem. And I think that we have lost the narrative with... Uh, uh, we've lost the narrative with academia. Uh, this is... It's actually disastrous. And, um, you know, the fight has to not, not only be in school boards, but it also has to be with teachers. Well, I have this um, idea... That, um, that I would like to pro- propose to you because I'm down, down here in the Deep South, but I was the first person to use the parent empowerment law. And the Florida is the only state that has a direct ballot parent trigger law, which converts schools if you win intra-school elections. There's just one problem that Lawton Childs passed the law. He stole it from Jeb Bush's platform when he beat him. And the teachers have veto power over the parents, yet the law is called the Florida parent empowerment law. So I've been trying since 2013. I had a terrible time with it. And maybe perhaps you could write something on, on, on the national to get exposure. I would love to see another state pass what I suggest, uh, which is to eliminate the teacher's vote within the law so that they can't veto the parents. In my case, it was I was PTA president at the time, so it was 83 nothing with one abstention. And the one abstention voted yes as a parent. No, as a teacher, because she had a child in the school, or he, because there was several. Uh, there was more than three or four teachers with kids in the school. But if we can do this, you can save your surpluses, your budget surpluses. You're funded directly from the state capital, and you start renovating the schools and the school facilities from within instead of school board funding, and it completely reinvents the public school system. And I really would appreciate it if you would look at the website parentguardianshipschools.com. And it's a chapter within my a larger book 
but it's a personal experience as the first person in U.S. history to have done this, and it actually provoked me building this radio station because I lost my freedom of speech for a mile while I was PTA president. The, the superintendent came after me, demanded I resign, or uh, Mr. Car- uh, Alberto Carvalho, which is fourth largest school district, so I took him on. I spent 50 grand doing this to create the, uh, the legal precedent, and I have the... The, uh, the, I was fortunate enough to to buy back my freedom of speech with the station, but uh, uh, it really it's a monumental thing that really could have reinvented the public school system if if parents just call these elections. Uh, it takes two parents uh, by law or a parent and a teacher, and in 90 days the school board has to fund the election, fund the balloting, and if you win, you control the budget as a guardian uh, board of guardians and uh, parent guardianship. And then, of course, you're free to save the surplus. I had a million eighty-three thousand dollars every year on our school that was being told to us as a deficit school, and it couldn't be because our taxes are high and we were overcrowded. Uh, in my case, I wanted to knock down a, a, an old school, and that was my motivation. To, uh, we have a half of our campus was under the under sea level, and you know that after Katrina, you had to elevate all government buildings because we are here on a barrier island. But uh, please take a look at it and. If you would, you know, uh, ask me any questions you want later, and but I need to get a national platform going because, man, I've been in the I've been up in Tallahassee often since 2013. I've had Republicans turn their back on me because they're defending charter developers, and I want to take that word charter out of the law because it's actually called conversion to charter, and uh, which, you know, creates. Okay, an, so I'll, I'll take a look at it. Uh, hey guys, I gotta run, but uh, good luck with your your radio station, and. Um and, you know, keep fighting the fight, okay? Thank you yeah, I am. We're doing our best. Thank you. Right, Thank you for your time. Right, See how they that's run? interesting, yeah. See how they run? That's how they run, my friend, well, and that's why the, the current... empowerment law? I'm sorry. Until you guys get it, there's one guy who gets it. Who's that one guy? And there's 320 million people. And the only guy who gets it is sitting behind this oh, microphone. Well, I went to an Americans for Prosperity. I went uh, on a rampage. You heard a yep. two-minute monologue there. That's fine. Then on that a was, rampage. And what? I got to go. That was very moderated. And I got to go. And it was articulate. It was thorough. It was to the point. I can tell you, Americans for Prosperity. And is, you guys all complained about the left the, it has and not, the control of the schooling system. But not, you don't want to do anything about it. There you are. There you are. Uh, I, I was telling you that Americans for Prosperity is a very good uh, conservative libertarian lobbying group, and school choice is one of their big priorities. That is bull. There you go. And bull. They, school they, choice is going nowhere. Is not going anywhere with it's them. It's a slow boat to China. Right. Well, you why? Because it depends on. Gotta, okay, so in a couple of weeks, I'm going to have somebody from Americans for Prosperity. You here. have less time than I do. Why? Because you're 64 and I'm 54. No, I'm only 62. Oh, geez, Louise. Well, we'll, get, we'll get Americans for prosperity. How many children do you have? Two. Okay, and how many do I have? Two. Okay, so we are a problem. All right. Because so we were let supposed me, to have three or four. Me, uh, we're going to get Demetrius Minor, who is one of the legislative liaisons for Americans for Prosperity in Florida. And he's going to talk about. Uh, Tell him I know Steve Lonigan. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know if he knows him. And the, we'll see uh, um, in terms of legislative priorities. That'll give you an opportunity. Perfect example. I'm so happy that, for your audience to hear. Yep. National uh, syndicated columnist mm-hmm. speaks our same language, but mm-hmm. when actually propose an idea, they're stunned that there's actually an opportunity to begin the long <laughs> ass quest. 
to reinvent the school system. It cannot be reformed. And even my co-host is like still looking like deer in the headlights. And he's been listening to this for a year and a half. And yet you still think everything else is more impressive. Low taxes, reduce regulation, uh, reduce the size of government. Bunch of bull. They don't want to seal the border. They just want to fix the I fence. I agree with you that we have to Come fix our on, school man. system. And I don't think anyone disagrees. But so the yeah, but nobody is, nobody has the answer on how to do it. Well, we we need to confront the uh, the people that are doing this, the legislative liaison. No one has had more access to Americans for political power in this state, straight up in than their you. face, than I have so since. So why haven't the, you done anything? It's because of people like you. No. People, I'm, hey, I'm in favor of Hey, Ron DeSantis, I brought him to this town before anybody knew who the hell he was. And what's he I was one of you? the few people that was telling him, you're never going to be a senator. And I told him that in January of 2016. You knew that, uh, Marco was going to yes, run again? Yes, of course. I knew that Trump, I was Ted Cruiser. Of course I knew that Trump was going to run us all over. And Marco was going to run back to Senate. And sure right. enough, I thought, yep. look, you're the next governor. So just sit back in your congressional seat. And come out in Fox News all the time. That's all I can tell you. And that's come out in Fox. That's, that's what he did. And he totally wiped out his Republican opponent in the primary. And, yeah, the Rhino. And then the reason he won because of single parent charter right, proponents who sent their kids to. Uh, and what has he vouchers? said to me? Nothing. I don't know what to Thank say. Thank you. Smiles. Today's in, he's in Tel Aviv right now. With a continuum of Floridians. Courting the uh, Jewish uh, school choice uh, vote? No. Chamber of Commerce type Chamber kind of, of stuff. Business and innovation. Right. And trade mission. Trade mission. Yes. Amazing. I should have converted. So I could have gone with it. Converted to what? I, I don't even know. I don't, know, I don't even know if I'm Catholic con- anymore. You don't think? <laughs> I'm surrounded by schmoes that run. I got to go. I got to go. Oh, yeah. You mean this guy at Blink Radio? 94.5, he's got his finger on the button. It would take us like 30 years. And the 30 year, I, I'm in favor of it. The 30-year clock you, can't even start because you can't right, change so the let's, end. Let's, let's talk about different groups you can work with. Now, do you know Richard Corcoran, the education commissioner? Yeah. Doofus blocking me. Heisman. He's a full Heisman. Full bronze. So why is that? Is that because, because he's depending because charter school the developers. Charter school uh, developers are all... Lined up because they want to slow boat to China because they need time to buy land to make money. In a charter school development situation, mm-hmm. as much as I I love it and support it, it's obvious that it's graduating yep. at the same rates without a teachers union. But it takes a long time You're for a guy to slow. pony up money for fifteen acres of land, five acres of land, a warehouse, a shopping center, something for kids to go and and go to their schools. And guess what? They're graduating at the same rate, not better. Really? But then again, the kids that are going to charter are already underachieving in, pro- in regular charter. They were underachieving, so now they're... At, Their parents are desperate. And so they're they go to charter. standard achievers, and yeah, that's the, an improvement. Well, 20 years from now, it, it'll be the smart kid that goes to charter, and the underachiever will be in the district schools. Well, my idea is to convert these district schools in affluent neighborhoods, parent in middle-class govern- neighborhoods... And let the county run the schools they can't convert. Parent, okay, so what's the name of that website again? Give it to our audience. No, you know what, audience, you hear what he just said? Can you give us the name of the audience? Because he doesn't know. ParentGuardianshipLaw.com. <laughs> what is it? ParentGuardianshipSchool.com. Guardianship School, okay. ParentGuardianshipSchool.com. And, and there you'll see the law is written, how it's written. It needs to be what amended. happened to me? I yeah. tell the story, 
And then I give you, on top of all of that, I give you, towards the end of that chapter, I tell you where this mess began. Again, with the same people behind the eugenics movement, John D. Rockefeller. And Margaret Sanger. And the First Teachers College. So and, I don't include and, her so much. And the, uh, the eugenics people were the... Multiple the, choice uh, testing? Completely devastated this country. If you graduated with through a multiple choice exam, if you passed a bar exam through multiple choice, no, you well, all part essays, of the dumb and dumber crowd. It was a, uh, uh, essays and multiple choice. What are the quality of litigators today compared to the quality oh, of you Clarence litigators? Darrell, Perry, uh, Perry, uh, Perry Mason, Perry Mason, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the next generation is going to have right, a tough so here's time. What you should do, you should. You I should shouldn't write do anything. The book as just, I shouldn't just do anything. Guardianship school. He and you should do something. Oh, I am doing it. You see how quickly he hung up on us? Jeez. Oh, I gotta go, guys. Oh my God! I actually was thrown out of my box. I cracked my cardboard box. You guys don't get it. You're running out of time. And I can only do what I have done. I created the legal president. I wrote it down in a book. My daughter was abused. She's the real hero. All I asked is for these stupid uh, legislators to at least have the, uh, the decency to, call uh, it the UNA didn't, Amendment. Didn't you go up to Cape Canaveral to meet with a state senator? Yes, that Altman. And how did he's that now, go? He's now a state uh, representative because he's already termed out as a senator. And I'm also speaking to a uh, uh, congressman. Sorry, I say congressman, but I shouldn't. It's representative, state representative. Uh, Jennifer Sullivan is my new target. Where is I she? don't stop. I don't stop at this. And it's all sad because it's all Republican and they're all shunning me. I, don't, I, right. I, I I've never knocked on a Democratic door. What for? Why <laughs> leak to them what's come, what uh, what could be a beautiful yeah. avalanche? The Republicans don't really push this because a lot of their constituents... Push it! They sabotage it! There are a lot of but their it comes with already... that attitude that I just heard on the phone, your attitude across the table, and all the other idiots that are out there looking at me thinking they're really conservative and they're not! None of you guys are! Because you guys don't want to reinvent the public school. Reinvent the public you school. You guys keep on saying, oh, we've got a path to citizenship on the border, and we gotta have, uh, we got to reform the immigration system, and we got to reform the public school system. And you all admit, it's really bad. Everything, education is really bad. And yet you do nothing. What well, are you going to do? I talk like the good old New Yorker used to say, I, I, what are I, you going to do about it? Well, we're going to let's talk to the people who might do something about it. The problem, the big freaking problem is people sabotage stuff that doesn't come from themselves. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it can't come from anyone else except for the guy who actually did it. Why? Why do I know this is true? Validated by Rolette Elementary, who got the teacher's vote. And guess what? They saved their surpluses. What did they do, Ed, with their surpluses in less than they, two years? They built another school. Uh, another school. They bought it from the school district, a dilapidated school down the street. They bought it. Now they have an elementary school run by parents, guardianship, and they have a middle school. It's called Rolette Elementary. Google it. And Rolette Middle School. Manatee, right, so Manatee County. Guys. The supporters are Richard well, guess Corcoran. What? He's the education Time out. Corcoran is, is, is. Uh, is offensive. Okay, okay, the state rep is what are the state reps? Well, the ones Cape that Canaveral. Uh, the the ones that uh, let me just tell you who the boogeymen are. Some okay. of them have been termed out, but I'll go ahead and slander Mike them. Mike he's a he's got total twit. School, yes. Okay. Mike Boleka, Carlos Trujillo, who got a promotion. No, he's, he's now, now Trump's the organization of, of American, American states. states. Kelly Stargell up in Lakeland, another real think, so pro charter. It's not even funny. I mean, she is just a hawk. 
I go and drive up there, up and back in one day to speak to her personally in her office, in her Lakeland office, and I got bumpkiss from her. It's the saddest thing that to see one parent on his own, and believe me, I don't want to join a public school right. or uh, our charter school movements. I spoke to the founder of School Choice Week, and all he is is a, a, right. a coalition of websites for right. him to make a living. And it's not about it's not about school choice at all. It's just about propagandizing school choice, which is cool. I, 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 there's got to be something good in that. But when it comes to what is it you're going to do, it can only be parents taking back their schools. And now I can rest. There I rest my case. We're going to go back to the re- tearing apart the Democrat coalition. The Democomic culture. Right. Here we go. Welcome to the Concrete Conservative. This is Mac of the Rock, 94.5 FM, with subpar Victorious Vidal. Okay. Who do I have the pleasure of speaking with? And thank you for calling. This is Helen Rowley. I'm supposed to be your next guest. Oh, oh yes, you are. Thank I'm... you for calling, Helen. Uh, we I, I read about your, some of your stories uh, on the Internet. And why don't you tell our audience your background? I know you're with the Centennial Institute. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm an immigrant from China. I came here as a student a uh, little over uh, two decades ago. I came here with nothing, just like millions of immigrants came before me. I came here with nothing. Okay. And I got uh, two, I received two master's degrees and worked for Fortune 500 companies and then started my own business. And also uh, now I'm a professional writer. I published several books and are writing regularly for the Federalist and a couple of other national media. Good for you. Thank you for running five circles around the American citizen. Thank you. We are both uh, immigrants. I'm an immigrant from Cuba. And Don't Manny's call me parents. an immigrant. I'm yeah. I'm, a, born I, I'm an American. Time out. Stop okay. interrupting me, man. <laughs> I'm the future. You're the past. Uh, Helen, you and me are stars of this show, okay? They, you know what I mean? I'm a son of an immigrant. I'm an American Cuban, and Ed Vidal is a Cuban American. But he doesn't really like new ideas. And I'm hoping that as we get to know each other, you and I can like create an alliance because you run three circles around me, and I run four circles around Ed. So together we can do something. <laughs> well, Ellen, the, the the topic that we were talking about, I know you want. We're going to talk to you about the your uh, your points on the. Democrat coalition and how it can be picked apart. But Manny's concern is he supports a Florida law that allows for parent empowerment, which is for the parents to start running the school. Uh, Instead of charter schools or vouchers, the parents can vote to take over and manage the school. What what, What do you think about that? Well, so I'm all for school choice, and I think a school choice is really should be parents' choice um, because parents have most parents have their children's uh, future best interest in mind. Right. Um, I actually have a friend who who started a charter school here. He's a parent. It was a, after he became a parent that he decided to start a charter school because he found the public schools are really the education standard really not up to what he and his wife. Right. Okay, how long did it take him? How long did it wait, take wait, wait, him? Where are you based? Where Time are you out. from? Let's find out. How long yeah. did it take him? This is a perfect example. This is the perfect litmus yep. test I was talking about. Okay, Helen, I need to... Uh, no, I need no, to... no, hold on a second, though. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not finished because um, th- he... He's in a unique situation. He's in a unique situation because um, he's a retired from a, a, 
uh, Air Force. So he he doesn't need to work. He's the financially very secure, secure. So he has the time and the resource to start a charter school. And I worked with him from the very beginning. Um, and my husband jumped in to volunteer, helped him out uh, a little bit as well. It's very time consuming. And it's also because the local school board set up such a high bar. Um, his initial application to the local school board to start a charter ran over 400 pages, okay? Yeah. Most parents do not have the time, the know-how, or the financial support to do this. So what he did was, after he successfully started the one charter school, he's actually worked closely with the Hillsdale College because Hillsdale College has this well-developed uh, charter school program, basically laid out all the curriculums for you. So he's worked closely with them. After he successfully started this one charter school, which is called Golden View, he's actually starting a uh, charter school management company, which will allow him uh, to go into communities to work with parents who want to have charter school for their children, but they do not have management know-how, they do not have the time and the financial resources to actually know how to do it. He's a charter school company, management company will come in to start from the scratch, to, to basically work with the parents to show okay. you how can you start a that charter That could help school. the parents. Okay, now imagine, Helen... With everything you just described, which is, I, I can't thank you enough so that people can see what I'm saying is true. So imagine that there's a law that allows the Air Force veteran and anyone else to do that in an accelerated fashion with much less than 400 pages in the charter application. But you do it because you want an election to take back an existing public school, meaning you don't need a developer to build the U.S. school. You don't need to rent space or buy land and go through permitting. You just win an election and you go to the school board for the, the covenant, which is called the charter. I like to change that word. And Florida is the only the only state of the 50 states that has a law that allows parents to take back a public school's administration. In other words, create charter inside the school and not pay them rent for the building and accelerate everything you're talking about. And have Hillsdale come after you win the election to give you the curriculums and set up the charter. What state are you calling from, Helen, where this was set up? This is Colorado. Okay. Oh, imagine. So, Florida, uh, if you can come, go to our website. I'm the first person to use this law in Florida history, and I created a legal precedent here. Now I'm out to try to amend the law so the teachers don't vote against the parents because the teachers in Florida, the law was flawed. It, the teachers and parents vote separate from each other. You have to win both elections, which is too hard for a parent because they abuse your kid in the process. Right, and you shouldn't have to need teachers' approval to set up your own right. school. Right, and the teachers who voted against us in my case, when I lost, eighty-three uh, all 83 teachers voted against me. But in the process, they, they demanded I resign as PTA president because the superintendent came after me. So it's And my kid was abused in class. So I'm trying to change the law. So if I can get someone like you to look at parentguardianshipschool.com and I tell my story there, perhaps you guys can pass this law in, in Colorado so that I can embarrass the Florida legislature for ignoring me since 2013. Well, we can try, but uh, in last election, um, Colorado got a blue tsunami, so our House and Senate and the governorship all fall into Democrat hands. So it's going to be very, very difficult. Well, guess what? School choice, the founding of school choice was in 1979 in the bluest of states in Minnesota.
And in, nor- in the Northeast, it's also uh, was founded there soon after in the 80s, and it was very successful. If people can just get off the fact that parents have the right to determine their kids' future, and it uh, doesn't necessarily have to be a right-wing thing. And here well, in Florida it is because Jeb Bush was the pioneer, but he sat on this law for but, eight years. But a lot of it, uh, the opposition to this school choice, whatever it is, is from the teachers' unions. Yeah, they that's obvious. That's obvious. And they, they're very strong in Colorado, especially Absolutely. now. Yeah, so I agree with Helen in that regard. But it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, parents should just have the right to to be involved in the finances of the school. They're not teaching the kids directly. They're just hiring and firing the principal and the teachers. Yeah, the teachers In Florida, like for instance, in Florida, even if you join us after the election because we won, uh, you get to keep your, your pension. You get to be... In this, you, you don't you don't lose your union rights from the pension standpoint. The mm-hmm. only thing you lose is that we can fire you, and you have to go back to the district school. You know, you have to be employed at another school, and of course, you'll probably be mistreated because you joined the parents. But that we can't do anything about. That's mm-hmm. the only thing that that's the only objection that I really can't answer. And quite frankly, I don't care to. I'm not really interested in how comfort uh, how comforting it is for the teacher who's participating in a failed school and our parents have taken it back so the schools that you that use this law after i used it to create the lego precedent they went ahead with their surpluses and in three years they bought actually in two years but the third year was open they actually bought a school down the street with the the surpluses that they had accumulated from their the school that they voted they voted to control it's called Rolette elementary so it's a real shot in the arm. I mean, I'm not against charter, quite frankly. It's just like you just described. It's very slow. The whole process was very slow. And look, your Air Force guy had to be retired and, and had to have the time and the passion and the purpose to do it. And that's what charter does. It takes too much time. It needs a developer. It needs someone to write the checks and build the building and buy land and permit. Whereas, wouldn't it be nice to take back a school that, that's that was owned by the county school district and you just won an election and you take it back and you run it the way you wish. And then it's your fault if your kids fail. It's one parents arguing over other parents instead of parents together going down downtown and crying to a superintendent who isn't listening. Definitely the fading of our public education is one reason that I think the African-Americans should walk away from the Democrat Party. Yes, the gov- the governor DeSantis just won here in Florida with that exact parent, the the single uh, African American mother seeking charter, a ro- uh, basically created the difference between him and yeah. DeSantis supports school choice and vouchers in Florida. He only won his by op- fifty thousand votes, right? Twenty thousand op- votes. Yeah, his opponent specifically t- uh, uh, tied up with the teachers unions and said he would uh, end all voucher. So it was considered that the difference in his in his victory was made up by African American single mothers who voted against the Democrat candidate who was African American himself because they wanted their children to continue using vouchers because they saw that as an opportunity for them to have a better life. What do you think of that? Well, that's actually that's reflected the reality. So, you know, end up um the, uh, what's our organization, the organization that represents the African-American, that they actually 
do not really represent what they right. really want on the ground. Yeah, the and NAACP the has come out against charter school and school choice. Of course. Right, right. But, uh, but a survey done by the Democrats for Education Reform actually shows, uh, this was reported by the Wall Street Journal, uh, 58% of uh, uh, black Democratic primary voters expressed support for charter schools. Um, and also 52% of uh, Hispanics, Democrat voters, oh, sure. expressed the support for charter schools. Guess who's really against the charter schools among the primary Democrat voters? 62% of white Democrat voters sure. are primarily against charter sure, schools. Sure, because they support the unions, and also they often live in suburbs where they have their own good, better school districts. Right. Absolutely. Well, and they don't, they don't have any real interest in seeing minorities out graduating right. them and out educating right. their kids. They don't want their minorities competing with their kids. Exactly. So they want them in bad schools. I agree. So let me ask you, uh, Helen, why do Asians vote Democrat? I mean, look at, for example, the whole affirmative action is discrimination against Asians. Yes, well, we did not always have uh, affirmative action. So for, I actually wrote another article about why Asians traditionally vote for the Democrats. It's probably like the... Like the like Jewish the vote. <laughs> uh, yeah, like the same reasons why the Jewish, you know, traditionally vote for Democrats, why African-Americans always vote for Democrats. I think I think many minority groups, um, they're, not, they're not always voted for Democrats until the 1960s when... You know, with with the JFK and with Lyndon Johnson, with the uh, with the civil rights movement, and I think that that gave the Democrats Party or the movement uh, some credibility that really opened up to minorities, and that that's where this is especially significant in the African Americans. You know, if you look at their voting history. Uh, all the way leading up to 1920s, majority of the African Americans actually identified as, as Republicans, you know, because uh, because of Lincoln, because of the uh, yeah, the first 32, the, right. the third, only, 32 yeah, congressmen they, were black, so yeah, they were only, Republican. They only switched to the Democrat Party since the JFK, the uh, Lyndon Johnson during that 1960 period when you know the great society okay, programs but, but wait helen in 1964 the civil rights act was passed and a higher proportion democrats had a majority in both the senate and the house but a higher proportion of republican senators and republican congressmen voted for that than democrats yes but because the presidents are the presidents back then were democrats i think that was what, what that was most people are associated with. Well, okay. and also, and also, the election itself. Barry Goldwater got his butt yeah, completely he handed to him. He no, lost okay, by a lot was, of votes. That was fifty-five years ago. Today, if you look at Harvard University and their admission standards, they're much higher and more difficult for Asian Americans than for. African Americans or other Hispanics. Same thing if you look at the com competitive high schools in New York City, especially Stuyvesant, Brooklyn Tech, and Bronx Science. They are majority Asian American because they work hard, they compete, they get good scores. And that is being turned down, and they're going to start having uh, ethnic quotas. So, in the face of that, are the Asian Americans going to react? Yes, we already reacted. That's why you have the lawsuit from Harvard, right? Right. Most, but, people, most of the 
of America do not know Asian kids sub subjected to are subject to higher academic standard in college admission until uh, Asian Asian parents and uh, children and organizations put a lawsuit out there, not only against Harvard and several other universities. Right. And same thing for what happened in New York. Those are the examples I used in my article. Same thing for what happened in New York when the mayor, uh, mayor DeGrazio wants to, right. you know, put totally cancel the standard test to go to the elite uh, high school. It was the Asian parents and its students protested both down the city hall and all the way to Albany to protest, you know, to protest that cancellation or even a proposal to try to cancel the standard test. And in New York, it's especially poignant because uh, even though if you look at the Asian immigrants as a whole in the United States, yes, we tend to have higher economic, uh, higher educational attainment as well as higher average in median income among all right. all racial uh, groups. But especially, but those uh, incomes and education are not uh, not evenly distributed among the, all the Asians. So especially in New York, many of those kids are. Uh, I think somewhere I read about the 75% of the Asians living in New York City, uh, they are actually under the poverty line. Right. So many of those Asian kids who attend the, the elite high school, they got there because they actually worked hard. Right. They're they, from poor they families. To be there, and they, it's not because they have they are, their parents had the money to hire them the best children in the world, right. and somehow and to, to get them there. Many of them are still living on the free or reduced, you know, a lunch program. They are coming from poor. They're coming from right. poor families. Yeah, they're recent immigrants. They're recent immigrants. But the question that I have is, why do they still vote Democrat? I think it's a that's that's what my whole article is about. My whole article is that there is a waking up because the Democrats their their policies are pushing towards uh, to the areas where it hurts the most for each individual group, right? So when I talk about African Americans, I talk about how the school, the public education, the failing public education, and is really hurting African Americans. And when it comes to the Asian Americans, there are two big issues. Um, because the majority of the Asian Americans are uh, immigrants, right. so immigration as well as education are two biggest issues with Asian with, with Asian Americans. And the Democrats so far have not come up with any policies to help, re, you know, resolve those issues. Instead, their policies are hurting. Asian Americans in those two right. issues, especially on the education front. Right. That, that, that's why many Asians are waking up. I, in my article, I also mentioned an example using the Washington state. Right. They just passed the initi initiative 1000, basically say affirmative action is okay, we want to bring it back. Right. Um, so they had a state referendum um, 20, 20 years ago to say that we do not want affirmative action right. in public agencies. But now they say, oh, we do want them. Guess what? The Asian organizations are standing up to against that. They're starting a new referendum to push this back to say this is not fair because we are now we see how affirmative action will hurt our children. Yes, absolutely. And by the way, I agree. I'm a, an opponent of affirmative action, and I'm Hispanic, and so is uh, Manny, right, Mac? No, 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 no. All right, yes. But let me ask you something, Helen. You are in Colorado, and you're giving me examples in New York City. I agree with you. Uh, Harvard and all the other colleges, I agree. Washington State, that's right. They're trying to bring back affirmative action. Uh, but let me ask you about Fort Bend County, Texas. Are you familiar with that? No, I'm 
not. Okay, Fort Bend County was a, it was traditionally a conservative Republican county. It elected uh, Tom DeLay back in the late 70s, late 90s, and early 2000s. Uh, so it's a very conservative county, but it's becoming more Asian. There are a lot of uh, not only East Asian from China, Korea, Japan, but a lot of South Asians. And all these people tend to be business and professional people, middle-class people. And yet, in the last election, uh, Fort Bend County, Texas, went very much Democrat. And I know the Republicans working there, and I've been to some of their events, and it's amazing. There was this uh, Vietnamese, uh, East Asian, Chinese uh, Lawyers Association, bar so- the Asian Bar Association. They invited Joaquin Castro, the congressman from San Antonio, who's a big supporter of affirmative action, to be their keynote speaker. And I talked to them, and I said, what are you guys doing? Your parents fled Vietnam or China to come here. You work hard, and now you want to be blocked out of your educational and job achievements by affirmative action. And they didn't have an answer. And what's really sad is that Asians are not likely to really... Uh, entertain the idea of welfare. Right, no, they're hardworking business yeah. and professionally. They're, it's just have, insanity to us. They have families, they have inta- they're, they're, uh, the Asians have the uh, most intact families in America, more than the Anglo. And they don't get divorced. Well, right, and so, so I said to them, and they didn't have an answer, and these are young lawyers, uh, it's like I had a great secretary who was from the Punjab in India, and I heard her say, oh, the Republicans are the white folks party. What do you say? Well, I see, I see this two issue, this issue is really uh, on both, you know, there are, how do you say this? There are two perspectives on this, right? I do think the Republican Party needs to do a much better job to reach out to the Asian communities. And I personally can tell you, there are many times I go into a Republican function or, or event, I, was, I can count all the minorities, including myself, uh, with one hand. So well, blame it, the minorities. The optics... The optics speaks louder right. than words sometimes. So uh, Republican parties need to do a ba- much better job than the Democrats to lay the groundwork. I, 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 do, I also noticed that the Republican parties tend to come to minority communities only during the election years. And, and then the rest of the time, you, don't re- you, re- you rarely see them. That's not how you build a relationship. I mean, do, do you have... Well, especially when the Democrats are coming with a check. Right. <laughs> Yeah, but the the Asians don't need the Democrats' checks. They have their own businesses. Yeah, but they see. No, it's it's not about that. So I think I so so the first so one perspective is the Republican Party needs to do a better job reaching out to right. Asian communities. And and so far, honestly, the Republican Party has not done such right. a good job to reach out to Asian communities. So they need to open up to show that the Republican Party has a big tent, that there's enough right. room for other minorities too, right. and they do need to do a better job. On the other hand, you know, then you look at the Democrats. You know, their policies are you know, have disaster results, can right. more, can lead to disaster results for Asian Asian Americans and other minorities. But they do a much better job to lay the groundwork. They're always there. You know, they're always there. And also, they, they, they do... I don't think they do a good job. ...to sell their policies. I think they, they do like a... to sell their policies with half-baked truth, right? Right. So, <laughs> well, half-baked, lying. Full, 100% lying. Yeah, they're there. They're they're well, doing a I, damn know, good Hel- job. Helen, I, I just think Asian Americans need to wake up and uh, wise up. Let me tell you something about the political parties in America. What the Asian Americans need is a really incredible 
leader. Yes. American educated Asian American needs. John Yu is a, a, a lawyer in the uh, University of Berkeley. He's a very, but there is no conservative Asian American yeah, leader. Yeah, what, what they need is that. Can you think Helen? Can you think, are there any conservative Republican uh, Asian American leaders? Like, for example, the Democrats have Ted Lieu, congressman from California, an awful person. Uh, is there anything like that? Is there a Ted Cruz on the Asian American side? Well, I, this, there is uh, some, somewhere in California. Um, I think she's a Korean. She ran and uh, lost the last election. Uh, I, I can't recall her name right now, but I think there are Asian <laughs> Asian American conservatives that are emerging, and and you also see that you see this, uh, for example, you see this um, in Naomi Rao's uh, confirmation. Naomi yes. Rao is an Asian, is an Indian, you right. know, Indian American Good Asian point. lawyer. That he was uh, he 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 was. Um, uh, President Trump's uh, budget uh, director, and then he was nominated to a court per- court position, and then the Democrats really set up a high barrier yeah. for Na- her. Naomi Rao. Yeah, so, Naomi Rao is a woman. She was President Trump's uh, regulatory czar or deregulatory czar, and she was appointed and confirmed to the uh, federal uh, appellate court in D.C. There's also Ajit Pai, who is the commissioner of the Federal Communications Commissioner, and he's an Indian-American. And I can say with pride that both of them are fellow uh, alumni of the University of Chicago Law School. Uh, but, see, uh, there are a couple of very conservative uh, uh, South Asian lawyers, and that's, I think those are good examples. Yeah, so I think they are also, um, I remember clearly, I actually wrote about this point, too, that um, uh, in 2016, when 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 Trump was run for the run for the uh, presidential election, yep. That um, so in my home, in where I live, Colorado, there are four Chinese new uh, news language newspapers, right. and all four Chinese language newspapers had one page colored ad uh, called the Chinese Americans for Trump. Good. I never see anything like that before. That's good. So, I, because Asians normally in the past, for, for, no matter what elections, you know, they maybe they'll vote, but they never run political campaign. So traditionally, that's just not part of our culture to be so right. local right. on the political front. Right. But that is changing, albeit slowly, but yep. it is still changing. Well, I that, that's there good. Is some waking up in our community. Okay, well, ne- next month we're going to have a, a author of a new American history uh, book here on the on the call. But let me tell you one thing about the Republican Party and the Democrat Party. Uh, the Republican Party, from the beginning, has always considered itself the more, the American Party. And the Democrats have always been like the outsiders, like the Irish Catholics in the 1830s, uh, the Southern slaveholders from uh, 1824 when Andrew Jackson founded it through the Civil War, then the Southern segregationists. And so they've always considered themselves the the outsider party and the republicans are consider themselves the american party the insiders so it's hard for republicans to reach out to newcomers even newcomers like i think asian americans many uh, cuban americans that want to be uh americans and want to assimilate want to succeed want to be self-reliant not become dependent on government because that's really what the democrats are selling they're selling uh dependency they're selling welfare uh, dependency. They're selling food stamps. How you know they'll get you a housing project uh, place. They'll get you food stamps. They'll get you Medicare. 
And that goes back to, you know, the Irish and, in the and what are we saying at the same breath? We're going to take that stuff away. Well, and so long as we don't have ideas and we keep on talking about yep. it, we're going to take it away. Yep. We're never going to have these people's vote. Well, we, well, some of the people realize they want to be self-reliant. Yes, but we're still saying Republican. we're still saying out loud we're going to take it away. What do you think? Uh, what do you think, Helen? About uh, what the, the Republican Party? Yeah, the Republican out? Party. The, I, I I don't think it's an option. I mean, if you look at the, the projections of the uh, demographics, right? That uh, I think it's by twenty fifty that uh, the minority groups there will be no majority ethnic groups in the United States. That's just the that's just the trend. And Hooray. if Republican Amen. Parties, if, right, and if Republican parties want to have a say, especially I don't know if you noticed that um, there are several states, including Colorado, with the Democrat majority legislatures already passed laws to change their votes to national popular vote. Yeah, that's that's okay. unconstitutional, but yeah. I I know I know this is going to be challenged, but what I'm telling you is it it it's happen it's happening. Right. So. So the Republican parties cannot sit back, excuse themselves to say, oh, we're the American party. We don't have to reach out. Right. If they want to be American, they'll come to us. To me, that's not acceptable. I you agree. Know, if you, if, well, there is if a... you have a good idea, if you want to have a battle of good ideas, take your good ideas to the community. Right. And well, we remember, we have, uh, yep. I suggest that uh, we expand the Convention of States movement and using Article Five, we could solve this problem. We're uh, we're both we're both. We met actually, Ed and I. We met at a convention of states, uh, Florida policy meeting, a general meeting, and we're both from Miami, but we met up in Orlando, and we are uh, fighting hard. We're at thirteen, fourteen states now, fifteen states, fourteen, I think. Yeah, we're at fourteen states to amend the Constitution without Congress using Article Five. The second, the the B version of amending the Constitution without Congress, and that's where we need to put a stop to these renegade states that think they can do like jungle primaries. My God, how did that get passed? And uh, why does the state have to go at large when okay. there's two political parties? So, Helen, are you optimistic? You think the Republicans can get their act together? I mean, I'm here in South Florida. I was in Houston. In Houston, I was head of uh, Hispanic outreach for the Republican Party in Harris County. Uh, so what do you what do you think? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right, I, 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 need, I need to see. I need to see more actions. What I see is uh, little has been changed since last election. Um, Zero I, I, ideas. That's I what hasn't changed. There. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a real uh, it's a real task. When the other side has bad ideas and the and our side has zero ideas. Well, one, one thing we do have is uh, Trump's uh, policies are creating a growing economy. And I think that has to be credited to him with uh, lower taxes, de- reasonable deregulation, especially energy and environmental, and then the law-abiding judges. So those are real Ed, policies. You, you keep on repeating that, but the average voter doesn't see it. Does not see right. it. They're employees. Yeah, they're employees. Exactly. Yeah. So you have to give them ideas to get bark behind. Yeah, yeah. You're right. The average voters maybe feel their pocket is getting full, but still, um, even the even the airwave is dominated by Russian coalition. It's dominated by you know trade you know trade wars or dominated by all those other topics. You know, voters have short memories. Absolutely. It, it's whatever the last thing you say to them before they cut in the vote probably will have long lasting impact to influence them. 
Only, only really exciting ideas drives a huge train where you don't have to get involved in the particular. You just have to know, wow, he likes that idea. That guy likes the idea. My wife all of a sudden brought this idea to me, and it came from the Republican Party. I'm going to vote for Republican, even though if I don't so know the details. Three, what are those three ideas? Uh, you asking me or Helen? Yeah, well, both. I want Helen to go first because she's smarter than I am. The big ideas. You want, you, want a time, you want a time to think. Well, I, I do believe Republicans have, the parties um, have good ideas, such as the deregulation, enhanced human freedom, um, in, you know, wherefore free markets, everyone have, everyone will, are, is, are, is equal, enjoy equal opportunity rights right. from the law, and there's no constraint, especially from a you know, every immigrant feel this way, that there's no constraint for you to live to your full potential. That's right. the American dream. That, that, that's, that's the beautiful ideas we have, that we believe in individual. We believe you know what's best for you, and you know how it can build your mm. the best life for you and your family. Yeah. And then nobody should look over your shoulder to tell you how to live your life. Well, and I, that's what I, I believe. I, and I do think the Republican parties have good ideas, but we need to get better to go out to sell those ideas, to promote those ideas into the community. That's something That's something I honestly believe many Republican politicians are lazy. They do not want to go out there to make this intellectual argument, to make this in, become an intellectual salesperson, to promote okay, but look, good ideas. I'm going to stop you right there because you just got me to think of something. Look what happened when we had someone with a real intellectual argument. He was hated. His name is Ted Cruz. An intellectual star, and he was hated for being well, smart. Now, what did he lack? In uh, curiosity, idea. creative ideas. I was personally talking to him. I was uh, I had the joy of driving him around here in Miami during the election, and I opened up his office here in Miami. So I had front front FaceTime with him, and I gave him this, this idea that I think is the answer to term limits. And he looked at me with his face like, just because he didn't think of it, my idea must have been loony. And guess what? When you have no ideas, the bad idea will come to the surface. You just saw that in Obamacare. Everybody knew that they were heading in this path. We didn't have an idea. So, Manny, what are your big ideas? My idea was to have a qualification to run for re-election, an attendance record. You have to serve... 85% 85% of the congressional term in the floor of Congress, punching in and punching out just like any other employee, and it's called the Punch In, Punch Out Amendment. You can read about it on punchinpunchout.com, where the congressman has to be sitting in a chair inside the Congress, no more empty seats that you see in C-SPAN. They have to be sitting there, and congressional committee meetings have to be at night. And in the process... You get you get rid of one third of the the calendar days because you have to have enough time to do sit on your butt inside Congress and sit on your butt in committee and nobody can be missing from anything, okay? And if you don't qualify for the eighty five percent of your congressional days when you were elected, and it's monitored by the congressional Go ID card, a card literally that you have to swipe to go in and out of the congressional chambers. You're not qualified for re-election. And that's much better than term limits because term limits has failed in every state that, that has it into and, law. And what did Ted say? And Ted goes, that's too complicated. 
<laughs> Can you believe it? And guess what? He's out there sponsoring term limits. I find that amazing. I just find that disgustingly amazing. And also, I really believe that the convention of states should be marshalling in only two ideas, the repeal of Amendments 16 and 17. That is so simple. And what are they doing instead? Balanced budget amendment and term limits. Yay! Really brilliant, guys. So smart of you. And it's so sad because it's so popular. Term limits is so popular, and it had failed in Florida, and, and, and it budget. failed in, in, in California. Because w- the only thing that term limits does is, yeah, okay, the politician doesn't get rich, or if he does get rich, he has to do it really fast, and he gets termed out. But guess what? It changes the dynamics of who gets elected. It's now the very young, amateur, immature, who goes and runs for office, because he, since he's going to be termed out, he's going to use it for his resume. So he's going to get into politics young to then get a good job after politics. And that's what's happened in Florida. You go to the Florida House or the Florida Senate, and you'll find very few elder statesmen who have ran for office after a prestigious career in dentistry, medicine, law, whatever. You find a bunch of young people. And guess what? They don't know what passed 20 years ago. I'll give you the perfect example, Helen. When I used that law that I was talking about, mm-hmm. guess what Jeb Bush and his young guys, he was, no, he was now an ex-governor, and I know Jeb per- personally, here locally, and guess what they were pushing in the state legislature in 2011-12 and 12-13, those two legislative sessions. I used, I had just used a ballot-based parent-trigger law, 1002 33, Clause 3B, the Parent Empowerment Law. Guess what they were doing for two sessions? The ballot base wasn't even considered because these young guys didn't even know it was law. They were passing a petition-based parent trigger law, a petition-based, the worst one of them all. And when I went up there to say, hey, Helen, do you know that you're pushing a petition-based parent trigger law and I just used the ballot version that's already law since 1996? They shut me down. They were so embarrassed. They didn't want me to even speak about it because they all looked like a bunch of fools. Why? Because the guy in 1996 was turned out. He was not even around to say, hey, we passed this in 1996. Why are you guys trying to pass a petition-based one? For all I know, Jeb didn't know either. I don't believe that's true. I believe he sat on it, and he actually wanted this petition-based one. And guess what? I was able to, and I'll take credit on the air here. To uh, People can uh, laugh if they want. But it died in the Senate 2020, both times. And I like to think that I convinced one senator. This year? And you're now listening, Ed. Yeah. 2020. Uh, 2011, 2012, okay. 2012, 2013. All right. Because, you know, the sessions are right at the turn of the year. Yep, yep. So... Both those petition-based parent trigger law lost 2020 in the Senate, and I'm sorry to say, I like to think it was me who got one vote to switch, because I, I was appalled, and that is a direct result of term limits. How many laws are passed years ago that don't even get promulgated by the bureaucracy that you know actually puts the teeth in the law to enforce it or to actuate it? How many people, uh, for instance, the, power, the parent empowerment law? 1996, it was passed. It was not promulgated until 2010 by Charlie Crist. 
Guess what? Jeb Bush didn't do anything while he was governor, and it was his law. It was his idea. That's what's wrong with term limits. And if you pass that at the national level, you're talking disaster. Disaster, legislative disaster. Because who in the hell is going to know what laws were passed in the past if the new guy was was termed out in eight years and the new guy comes in? Guess who's going to control the federal government? A bunch of kids coming out of Georgetown, American University, Harvard, and Yale working as congressional aides to congressmen and switching musical chairs as these new guys come in, one working one year for one guy, one working for the other, and then they switch parties because one got termed out, the other one's brand new, and they start lying to each other to keep their jobs. And that's really sad for a nation of intelligent people to go down the road of term limits, knowing what we know at the state level. And so many people in positions of uh, journalism like yourself and and many others, if you guys don't get that and start writing about it now, you're going to get term limits, and it's going to be disaster. Another one is the, the balanced budget amendment. How stupid is that? Imagine if the Democrats are given a balanced budget amendment to the U.S. Constitution, and you gave them the license to raise taxes to balance the budget. Oh, you guys, it's we can't. We can't have deficits, so we're going to raise taxes to 65% to balance the budget because these people don't stop spending. So what do you think about that, Helen? Because Ed is frowning here. He doesn't know what to do with himself because he's heard this before. Yes, well, um, I see I see, your, I see your point, and I, I do believe the legislatures need a, a flexibility to do what is necessary to, what necessary to do, and we're facing some similar issues here in Colorado as well. You guys have term um, limits? No, we don't, but we have people pushing for it. Yeah, it's going to be and, a disaster. Uh, I, I, do not, I do not believe in term limits. I, I believe that the election itself is a term, term limit. limit by itself. You know, if we do not like someone. Um, we do not think someone represents us well. The best way to do it is through the next election. But notice, notice, so, notice what I'm saying to you is that sometimes... Because the, the, the voter is not informed and doesn't care to be informed because they just want to keep the lights on. They're just working. You can't blame people for just paying their bills. But force the guy who's been there to attend Congress, to uh, actually have an attendance record that matters. Marco Rubio shouldn't be allowed to run for president because he barely attended the Senate. <laughs> he was never there as a senator. And when we went to, in the campaign trail, the reason why he didn't... He only got Minnesota and Puerto Rico was because he didn't work at being president of the United States. He didn't campaign. Why? Because he had the same lazy, lackadaisical discipline campaigning as he did as senator. He was never in the Senate chamber listening to legislation. None of them are. They are in their offices or they're fundraising and they're waiting for their congressional aides to say, hey, they're taking the vote at 430. You better be back by then. And then they go into the Senate just to vote and they haven't read anything, haven't heard any speeches. You see it yourself when you turn on C-SPAN. Don't you see all the empty seats and the senator talking to himself or a congressman for that matter? That's the issue. And Americans, I can't be the only one that, that sees the obvious. There are empty congressional chambers every day in every way. It's a government by proxy. They're busy raising money for their and drink And drinking. Well, marijuana, they could be uh, smoking uh, marijuana. Well, when, California. when they pass marijuana, maybe they'll stay there all week. Yep. They'll pass out samples. 
Okay, well, well guys, it was good to talking to you, but th- I think our dinner's ready. So thank okay, you very much you. for calling, you Helen. Go back to enjoy the uh, holiday dinners. Thank you guys for having me. You yes, bet. yes. Uh, I calling. hope you uh, call us back. Okay, sounds good. Take thank care. You. Have a good Memorial Day weekend. Okay? You too. Yeah, God bless you and much success to yeah. you. I'm very impressed. Thank you. There you go. Tia, when you want to rampage. That's okay. Dinner is ready. Dinner is ready. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Well, well I, she's I, two hours behind us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mountain time. Yeah. When you start flowing people with ideas who already thought they had ideas, mm-hmm. and when you think the Republican Party has ideas and all they are are sediments mm-hmm. and, and like principles, there are an idea. Deregulation isn't an idea. It isn't. Mm. It's a policy, but it's not an idea. Idea is something that sets you forward. Did, did Barack Obama win his election? On Obamacare. Did no. he, ca- he campaigned on creating Obamacare, which was an idea, and it was a terrible idea, and he got elected on it and got reelected on it, and today it's still in law. He didn't get elected on Obamacare. Okay, tell me how he got elected. A lot Give me of his number one campaign idea. That he was an African and that he was going to redeem America from our... Original sin of those slavery are like ex- and those are like software extensions. No, the, that was a key part His, of how I, he, he got ran, the white vote. He ran on Obamacare. No, and then he also ran on W's failure to manage the economy. So we were in a in a crisis, and then no, because that, that was McCain. handed to him at the very end. No, with no, the no, uh, banking, was, the yeah. tarp. It, well, that's not you're not being was, sincere. Yeah, no. that was part. Of, and then McCain no, ran a tarp totally was sixteen days out. No, no, no. But the the explosion was of Lehman Brothers went bankrupt on September fifteenth of two thousand eight, and that was already. And made what was for the him. election in November? Right. So that was okay, ready then. made for him. And then McCain was totally ineffectual, and he didn't want to be. No, and, Bush wanted to uh, tank McCain because well, his banking buddies were going to go to jail. Whatever. And then in the re-election, uh, Romney was a total wussy rhino. He didn't. I, no, he didn't. He didn't. It's, uh, be more attack. specific. Romney got caught up in a one stupid mistake. Which one was that? Believing he was... Hillary's video at Benghazi another six oh, weeks yeah, out of the another, election. Yeah, yeah. That's... Hello. Well, Romney you're going to has... tell me he didn't have the intelligence to find the hey man. Romney oh, we himself... just lost an ambassador. Romney... He should have raised holy hell for the he next didn't... eight days. Yeah, and Romney he himself believed the video. Romney himself had been. Uh, the author of uh, Romney Care, which so he couldn't attack Obama on Obamacare. More reason to be handed Another a Benghazi argument. disaster and turn it into a mess. Well, uh, he was a wussy rhino in my view. So, that's, come on, man, those are oh, every election has an October surprise, and you just gotta run with it. You know what the October surprise in Trump's was? What was that? The bus. Where he says he grabbed someone, video. Oh, and nothing happened. And nothing happened. Uh, absolutely. It, I became even more of a Trump. No, what it, what it was was it galvanized women into saying, you know what? I gotta he's got to better. This guy. Yeah, he's got better taste than Monica Lewinsky, for Christ's sake. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, women. You can call at 305 365 7777. He won Anglo women, yes. He won the Anglo women vote. Why? Because yep. he has great taste in women. Period. And won the Cuban women vote, too. Hello? <laughs> now, I'm not saying that that's the sole reason, and, uh, and you're going to attack me for being a misogynist no, if you like. No, I'm not. You know, because there's lots of people listening. And yeah, they can attack you all you want, but the truth is, uh, he came with a full force and fury of handsome guy, successful guy, beautiful first lady, beautiful children, all articulate. That resonates with people, period. Good. And thank God it was an audio, not a videotape. Well, that's right. <laughs> that's all I could say. And Adam is going to call. 
because it says on my phone from here, yes, I'm calling tonight. Good. I'm glad that Adam's going to be calling. Uh, hopefully, we can, maybe we can wrap up the uh, executive privilege issue. That's good. Well, wrapped up because you, it's it's all wrapped up in your head or what? No, no, because we've been going through various items, like the 1798 Act establishing the Navy and uh, the XYZ affair where Talleyrand asked for a bribe, which is, you know, unfortunately that's the way the That's policy... a reminder. That's for the next hour. So you're giving us a recap. Yep. So every so night, so the audience knows, every night after the Concrete Conservative, we had the Statues and Stories segment with Adam Levinson. So if you want to stay tuned, we've been at this for two hours now. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, I've been on a rampage today, so uh, I thank you all for listening to my rampages, because after all, my YouTube channel is called Mac on the Rock Rampage, because I'm really uh, passionate about what I'm suggesting to the American people, come up with ideas to reinvent the country, or else the Democrats will come up with some stupid reform that just increases your taxes. If we didn't pay so much in taxes because of income tax, we wouldn't be voting for senators and the senators would be voted for by, by state, state legislature and then a, you and i would be paying attention to the state legislature right. so then the state legislatures would have their proper role in and recalling system. these freaks right we're so holding them to account then, holding anyway. them account recall say yeah, hey guys whatever. if you continue voting that way we're recalling you there was one other point that uh, helen made in her article and that john had uh, uh, talked about which is she thinks that tech entrepreneurs should also be voting Republican. It makes sense. When you're an entrepreneur, you want a growing economy, you want opportunity, you want low taxes, reasonable deregulation. Have you guys asked how many tech entrepreneurs you think there are that's going to sway an election? Well, maybe not. Well, you never know. In California, maybe. In California, they need to start thinking about that. Okay, how many are they? I don't know, but there are substantial... You guys say these things, but these numbers... No, 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 but they're a substantial block, and they're also a substantial block for... Uh, co- money, financial contributions. Okay, but they However, also they also supported jungle primaries. That, well, how, that's, how close that, minded, right. close society mentality is yep, that? That's right. That's now, like having that's like having a parent empowerment. The, the alternative to her though is that big tech doesn't want deregulation. They want regulation so that there are barriers to entry, so that their positions as Google and so on are not threatened by competitors. So that's one factor why they support the establishment, especially the Democrats, but also in many cases Republicans. So they're not really a, a, new, a new role. They, they don't, they're not going to support Trump's deregulation because they're, not, they're threatened by deregulation, just like the banking industry. So I'm not sure tech entrepreneurs I think the, uh, I think are, the voting, are, are a it's a well-stated uh, statement, but it's not a, it's not a real uh, special interest group. It's, right, not, right. Uh, it's not something that sways elections. The only thing that sways elections... Are people's genders or races? Okay. And if you don't ap- appeal to people's genders or races, you are talking political mumbo jumbo. And the reason why the Democrats have controlled public policy in this country with poor ideas is simply because they have s- paid off people play uh, people's genders and races. And it's that simple. They use other people's money to get elected, and LBJ said it clearly. We'll have those people voting for us forever. For 200 years. For 200 years. Well, he's at 100 already. And now he's we're doing stuck. He's very well. Yeah. Now. No, he's at 50. I see so many people thinking the same way, man. It's so discouraging. What do you mean? I just see it. Today was a perfect example. The minute you throw something 
that throws per, uh, someone outside of this box. ParentGuardianshipSchool.com. That's one. Mm-hmm. Punch in, punch out is two. Well, even Ted I, Cruz turned that down, right? He sure did. So did, so did Ron DeSantis, which I didn't say. But, Ron, I was, I suggested that, too, because we already have term limits here. So I suggested that uh, we should push for that in my conversations about the, the likelihood that he was going to run for governor. Mm-hmm. I said, why don't you suggest to the Florida legislature as the governor for uh, an attendance a requirement to run for re-election in the state. Manny, I think you need to run for governor. Guess what? I would get five votes, and my mom would vote four times. <laughs> it's the truth. People like me are are uh, not a, not okay. likely to get elected. So I'm going to bring in um, a, the, the legislative liaison for Americans for Prosperity. They are very active in terms of lobbying in Tallahassee. School choice is one of their big issues, and I asked them about parent guardianship, and it's not on their radar. Of course, they don't so even know. Maybe you'll but get. But why? Why is it? Put it on. Why is it not your fault? My fault. Yeah, you know about the parent guardianship. I made it. I, I, he's gonna. If I do he's it, gonna I, it's, call in. When I, it, it, what, what the audience should understand. Go there to parentguardianshipschools.com. Mm-hmm. This is the end of the concrete conservative segment. We'll be back in a moment. Stay free, my friends. Let's listen to the. Communication Breakdown, Led Zeppelin. If you like our programming on WSQF 94.5 in Key Biscayne, you can also hear us very far away nationwide, WSQFradio.com. And if you like our audio files and our subject matter, subscribe to YouTube, Mac on the Rock Rampage. Take care and stay free.